You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. All right, good Friday morning to you. Light drizzle here to start this Friday, as crazy as it sounds. I think that is, thankfully, subsided. It's supposed to be a beautiful day here in Indy and tomorrow before we get a little bit more spring-like weather in a negative way coming up Sunday into Monday. You know, Jake, I... um. I know it doesn't make for like great radio fodder, if you will, but I'm not going to lie to our audience or just say something just to say it. I don't have like strong, strong conviction in a positive direction one way or the other on Will Levis and Anthony Richardson. Um, like I, I don't, I think this time, you know, around the Pacers draft, it was pretty clear my thoughts on Benedict Matherin and my desire for the Pacers to want to draft him. I, I just don't have that feeling when it comes to these two quarterbacks, so I guess I apologize on that front. I would say where my strongest conviction though lies positively about the Colts making a quarterback draft pick coming up in less than two weeks, I have a ton of belief in Shane Steichen. A ton of belief in him. And that's why I think you take a swing. So I'm going to ask this. It's going to sound like I'm being argumentative. I'm not. Uh, tell me why you do. What? Well, we haven't seen him as a head coach. So Yeah, I have a ton of belief in him quarterback-wise. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I think his history with, again, styles, um, different shapes, different sizes of quarterbacks, I think all of that gives you or should give Colts fans reassurance and hope and um, his track record is pretty darn impressive when it comes to that position. And when you think about it, you know, Philip Rivers was just handed to him. It's not like he was a member of the Charger staff in 2003 or 2004 whenever Rivers was drafted. Same thing with Jalen Hurts. You know, he was not in Philly yet. He came to Philly a year into Hurts' career. Um, so the fact that this time he is able to identify or meet and talk with and watch these guys work out and bring them in for top 30 visits and all of that, that gives me, I think, even a little bit more of like, all right, he's got some more intel than he did even when they drafted Justin Herbert. You know, when they drafted Justin Herbert, Shane Steichen was the OC, so he was a part of that, but that was the COVID year. So you had some restrictions on how much interaction you could even have with these guys before the draft. So again, Levis, Richardson, I... I don't know, but Steichen, I feel like I do know, and that's why I think the Colts should make a quarterback move and give their head coach, who's arguably his biggest strength is the quarterback position, give him a chance with that. So let me tell you a gut feeling's the wrong word, a thought that I've wondered, and I want your input on it. I believe... I believe that Jim Irsay and Chris Ballard, and again, I don't think they're sitting there arm wrestling, but I think if both of them, if Jim Irsay was put in charge of this is your draft pick and you are, you're going to be Jerry Jones here, Jim, it's 100% you, I think Jim Irsay would lean to Will Levis. If Chris Ballard was told you have total autonomy and Jim Irsay can't do anything about it, even though he's your boss, uh, you, we're not even going to tell you what Jim Mercer which way he's leaning. I think Chris Ballard would go with Anthony Richardson. In that event, one would assume the tie-breaking vote goes to the head coach. But he's new here. 
How much influence does Shane Steichen have in saying, this is the guy that I'd rather have? See, Jake, I would go the reverse of that, or at least probably this is me saying I hope it's the reverse of that. I hope it's Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard making the decision and then Jim Irsay is the tiebreaker. I don't think it should be the owner and the GM are voting and Steichen's the tiebreaker. Understood. Um, and I actually think Ursay is looking at it in that light. I, I don't think that Ursay is pounding the fist down the table and saying, no, 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 this is my vote. Chris, what's your vote? And then boom, they have split decisions and, and, Kevin, and it goes to Shane. I, I agree with that, but here's the thing. I totally agree with that. And I will give Jim Ursay credit that he has gone out of his way to make sure he's not his dad, right? Totally get it. However, there are some things that you don't have to say for them to be true. And Jim Ursay doesn't have to say, I'm going to usurp you because I'm the owner. But when he says things that changes his tune a little bit about Chris Ballard publicly... And I don't mean that in any way, shape, or form that he has said anything to imply that Chris Ballard is on the hot seat or that Chris Ballard, I mean, I think he has a great love and respect for Chris Ballard. But the second that Jim Mercer started saying, you know, the expectations are now, or the I want to start seeing some results here. The, the second that Jim Mercer kind of walked back his tune from this guy is like Michael Jordan because Michael Jordan missed shots also and is still Michael Jordan to... I don't want to see as many missed shots. The second that happened, then Chris Ballard has to hear, I would assume, just as any of us do when it comes to our bosses or whatever, you hear that and you start to think, okay, he does. He hasn't said to me that he wants influence on this decision, but he kind of just did. And I probably need to take into consideration what I think he wants. Yeah, it would probably be good, honestly, if both of them took a backseat and let Shane Steichen had more say. That's me banking on a lot of ego taking a back seat, so I'm not holding my breath for that. But I think when you look at the track record of the organization with quarterbacks here lately, it probably would be wise for them to hold Shane Steichen's opinion in pretty high regard. Um, and I do think that is kind of the unknown variable with this process. You know, so much of the potential intel, and I say that in quotes. You know, we might have in the Colts' decision making. Again, if Steichen is going to have a whole lot of say in it, we just don't know because Steichen is the new guy in town. He has only been here for two months, and I don't think there just are those relationships with him at all that would lend people to have serious intel. But again, I, I just don't, I wish I was, it was different, but I don't have like. Just a strong... I'm probably like uh, Dane Brugler yesterday. He's got Will Levis right next to Anthony Richardson in his draft rankings. I probably have them pretty close together. But I believe that Shane Steichen deserves a chance with that. Do you have strong conviction one way or the other? Levis or Richardson? I, I Personal opinion, not like Colts you mean direction. On, on who I would go with? Correct. I would go with Levis. Only because, and I think Richardson's incredibly intriguing and probably has higher upside than Will Levis. However, there are two ways, Kevin, to approach 
whether you're an NBA team drafting a point guard, you know, whatever, or a major league baseball team drafting a pitcher, there are two ways to look at it. If you are drafting a quarterback under a secession plan that you can let organically grow and you are not in a sense of urgency, that gives you flexibility. But when you paint yourself into a corner of denying addressing the quarterback issue for like three or four straight seasons, then what you are doing is you are now putting yourself in a position that when you finally decide the time is here to draft a quarterback or to go with the long-term franchise quarterback, you have to negate as many of the things that could be factored into your margin for error as possible. You have to go with the safer play. You know, it's just like investing in the stock market. Some stocks are high risk, high reward. Other stocks are just a safe entry. And I think Will Levis is a is the safer entry. Anthony Richardson is a high reward guy, there's no doubt. But I'm very hesitant over the lack of starting games, the precedent of players in the NFL that get drafted at the quarterback position that did not have 15 or more starts as a collegian, for example, the law of averages works against you there. And, you know, I I think I just would go with Levis. I think he's the safer pick. I think Richardson may well turn out to be long-term the better player, or he may well turn out to be Mitchell Trubisky. I, I don't know. Levis could as well. Don't get me wrong. Can I push back a little bit? When is playing it safe worked out for the Colts lately? What if Jake said like that, no that you can't push back? <laughs> I'd walk out right. right now. No. Like Ballard said, don't worry. Left tackle's taken care of. We got Matt Pryor here. Let's play it safe. Guy in the building. We're gonna uh, totally, there. totally understood, but wide receiver group, totally fine. Don't need to add anybody. We got our guys. Let's play it safe. Totally understood. What I'm saying is I'm somewhat agreeing with you in your point that actually then contradicts my point but what i'm saying is you are correct they have been they've sat on their hands for too long mm-hmm. right by playing it safe which then le- but those other things of being conservative are not the ultimate ultimate push in which is the quarterback position and they have put themselves in a position where Partially because, ironically enough, they have played it so safe in the past or been so conservative, they put themselves in position now where they cannot have risk. I just feel that the Colts have, they need to kind of get with the times with the modern NFL standard, and they've had pocket passers forever. They haven't really had a mobile guy that can move. I like what Anthony Richardson does. I know that mobility, obviously, for quarterbacks is an issue. We've talked at nauseum about Lamar Jackson being injured and Justin Fields gets banged up a lot and everything like that. But when you have an offensive line as porous as the Colts have had last season and a wide receiver and tight end group that isn't very, isn't even in the top 20 of probably group groups, I say maybe more more mobility for a quarterback isn't the worst thing in the world. I kind of lean towards Anthony Richardson in that respect. You know, well, one thing that I could hear out, Mark, kind of along those lines is look at the AFC right now. Pretty special quarterback. Young as well. I mean, it's it's a time where if you have a middling QB, you just get swallowed up. Like, it, 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 you're not going to 
if you have a middling QB in the NFC right now, you might have the best QB. You might have a division winner in the NFC. That's not the case in the AFC. So I have heard people make the argument of the AFC is so loaded right now, the only chance you're going to get to that top tier is to take the biggest swing possible. And that would be Richardson. Now, of course, Jake brought up Mitchell Trubisky earlier. Uh, I believe the stat is out there that if you look at guys with whatever it is, 13 or less starts, 14 or less starts in college football, I think Mark Sanchez and Mitchell Trubisky are the only two that have gone in the first round, and I don't think either of those careers you would sign up for. here's, Here's my way of saying it right now. True or false, Kevin, in your opinion, true or false, the hit on this draft is going to determine the hitter the swing or miss on this draft will determine Chris Ballard's future yeah. as unless the he's got more blackmail on Jim Mercer than I could ever imagine. Yeah. Without question. So if Chris Ballard knows that a miss on this particular draft, not on what he does in the third round, not what he does in the fifth round, not what he does in free agency, not what he does in retaining his own players. If he knows that a swing and a miss with this draft pick costs him his job then he has to go with the one that has the fewest potential demerits. And, and Levis, there are question marks, don't get me wrong. But it just feels to me, there, there might be two demerits with Levis and three with Richardson. But in that case, I think you got to go with Levis if you're him. That's just my thought process on it. I think as far as... I would love for them to take Richardson. I don't want people to misunderstand here, right? I mean, I, I, I think it'd be... I think he appears to be a tremendous upside talent. Don't get me wrong. Does it correct a lot to Levi's for you guys, too, when you've texted yes. and or tweeted about mm-hmm. him? I know. Also, when I type love, like I'll say, like, I love you to my wife, it changes to live. So it says, I live you... And I'm like, why? Why does it keep doing that? Are you watching that on the CW <laughs> next week in Australia for the You're Live right. Golf yeah. Tour? Yeah, I'm sorry, Kevin. Australia, Singapore, back to back for the Live Golf Tour. I just think, regardless, week. quarterback wise, the Colts are probably going to be picking in the top ten again next year, and if these guys don't work out, you're going to be picking a quarterback in the next year or two again, all over again. Yeah, I, I think a very, very impactful and interesting storyline to watch in the next two weeks, and obviously. On Thursday night, April 27th, will be what does Houston end up doing it to? Mm-hmm. You know, I think there is some real smoke there that they, if Bryce Young goes one, which right now Vegas is all in on that, if they don't go CJ Stroud and they go Will Anderson at two, that means the Colts are either getting out of Stroud, Richardson, or Levis. Two of those three are going to be available to you at four. Now the question becomes do you sit there? Are you content with two of those three? Do you trade up to three to try and get? Theoretically, Stroud, because he has the highest floor. That domino, I don't think we've thought of throughout this entire offseason. But if the Cardinals are still on the clock at three at that point, and Will Anderson goes two, that'll be some must-see TV, because that'll be wild. And Mark, to that point, think about it. If Will Anderson's gone, now Arizona, I don't think, would view it in the light of, hey, we only want to move back to four because we still want to get Will Anderson. Now the can't-miss defensive guy's gone. So now they might say, screw it. If we're four, if we're six, if we're eight, doesn't really matter. Let's just get the best trade package yeah. Oh, the return. Titans are calling at 11. Let's see what they Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, 
Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Got to right. say. 28 minutes before the hour, 9 o'clock, as Mark Dykeman bounces back with the greatest band ever assembled. Not necessarily their greatest hit, but a good song, right? Well, that has a lot to do with the Pacers. A little patience. I like See that. There? Mark, yeah. Mark is always on it. He is. Uh, joining us now to talk about exactly that, not about Mark being on it, but about the patience of the Pacers, is Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files on the Payless Sugars Hotline. Scott, we'll begin with this. I thought Kevin Pritchard, not only in his end-of-year powwow, but also when he came on this program, uh, was pretty open and candid about the fact of, I like what we had, I like the year we had, I like the group we have, and now I've got to figure out how in the world I jostle in new pieces with that. And it sounded to me like a guy that was pretty open about the fact that even though they have five draft picks, it does not mean they're going to be adding five new players next year. Yeah, good morning, Jake. I would completely agree with that. And that's it's kind of what he's reiterated several times, even going back, you know, a couple of months here, just because, I mean, you can't have too many projects. You can't have too many guys that are in the same phase. And so now it's, I think the key word might become consolidate. You need to have a, a one bigger piece rather than kind of three smaller pieces that are contributing similar attributes here. And so um, that's what they're really after and what, what every team's after. The challenge is how much ammo is it going to take to try to be able to get that player via trade. Now, they're going to have one really good draft pick, um, but from then on out, I'll be curious to see how, many, how much of those other four picks that they'll decide to use. And Scott Agnes with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Scott, when we've talked about the Colts this offseason, I've said, all right, every single decision that they make has got to be about supporting the young quarterback. When I'm talking about the Pacers, I feel like every single decision they make this offseason has got to be with the first thought of how do we get better on the defensive end of the floor. And, and I know that's maybe not like what every NBA team says, and, and I know the league you know caters so much to the offensive end of the floor, but do you think they share kind of a similar mindset of, man, before we do anything, the first question we have to ask ourselves is, are we getting better defensively? I think right before that, it starts just with talent. You'll take outright outright talent before anything and then figure it out from there. But, no, that, that remains true. It's almost like they overcorrected, right? Remember how good those defensive teams were for so long in, in a row there? And if you go back even further, the teams that were actually competing, that's when they were top three in the league in defense, like three or four years, led the league twice. It doesn't need to be that extreme, but they can't come back here and and finish the second straight season as the worst defensive team, you know, in the last couple of months. And, and I mean, other teams are basically having layup lines and parades in the, you know, in the paint. Things are just coming so easily. And again, that was one where they were holding miles out. Tyrese wasn't out there, but still for several years now, we've continued to hear about point of attack and guys needing to guard their yard better. And that's, in large part why we've seen a lot more of Miles and his activity at the rim because guys would get beaten and Miles is that safety net back there. And that's kind of elevated his importance because of that. But no, 
again, it all starts with those guys' individual defense and then in terms of filling out the roster with guys that can actually defend at the three and at the four, which they, they've had Boyan. Sad Young was decent. Um, but th- there's been a big gaping hole of lack of defenders guarding the most important person on the other team, whether it's Giannis, <laughs> whether it's LeBron, Paul George, Kawhi. That's a big hole that's needed to be filled, but I'm not sure how you exactly fill it right away because you're pro- you're not going to get it in the draft usually, right? Like it takes a player a couple years to be able to defend. So to me, that is the number one priority in free agency. But you know, Scott, I, I get this feeling. When there have been years in the past where the Pacers drafted a player that wasn't overly sexy, but then when you looked at the totality of how that piece fit in with those that were already around, you went, ah, I get it. It makes sense now. And Kevin Pritchard basically, I think, is thinking to himself, okay, maybe we need one more like Halliburton Matherin type guy, but it would not surprise me unless they move up via the ping pong balls, if they're, if they're drafting eighth, for example, it would not surprise me if they draft a guy that isn't an overly sexy name but has a definitive, isolated role in terms of like as a wing defender and that's what he brings to the table because he is strictly a piece of the puzzle that won't make sense for a year or two. What say you? I think first I would completely agree they're at least one foundational piece away and second, what you just said kind of gets tricky. You want to be careful there. You want you got to draft best player available, I believe, at that spot. Um, and if if you're really hunting towards that defensive end, you might be able to get that guy at twelve or thirteen and be able to trade back a little bit. If if they're picking in that five to eight range, you're probably going best player available because that if you don't, that's when you get caught up and that's when things get awfully dangerous. Again, Scott Agnes with us, Fieldhouse Files. Scott, we heard at Kevin Pritchard's season-ending presser earlier in the week. He, I think, you know, pretty much hinted, if not said, that they made two big offers at the trade deadline. Um, any guesses as to who those offers would have been for? OG Ananobi is one that pops into my mind. Any guesses on those? Yeah, I'm more curious by the former and why why it's being so known, right? Like, why put it out there so much? Um, I think he wants a fan base because, to know that he's making those moves or attempting to make those moves. Yeah, probably fan base. Tyrese is some uh, the player he, he really hyped up and and was pr- full of praise. Um, so you want to take care of your own, obviously. That's another thing. I mean, Jake, I listened to your guys' interview with him, and Jake brought up the point of you know trying to make sure a guy doesn't leave, stuff like that. But um, which is a, obviously would be a concern for the fan base and such too. But I, I don't know that. To me, that was one of those things. I was surprised it kept being brought up on its own, right at the trade deadline, at the post mortem a couple days ago, and then again with you guys because there no there we don't know any specific leaks. I've heard it's taken four or five first round picks to get a guy like OG Ananobi. And I think that'd be foolish for any team to do. I think that's well beyond uh, what he's actually worth. So he's one um, that I think you could probably connect the dots there. Um, but outside of that, it, it had to be another wing. It had to be a, a, a power forward and a wing for sure. Scott, do you feel like Jalen Smith's a guy this time a year ago that we were like, oh my gosh, they've got to do whatever they can to keep him. I mean, I think everybody felt that way. And – 
and he had a very inconsistent year. He obviously could have gone elsewhere for bigger money, at least we thought so. Not only had Jalen Smith fallen out of favor here a little bit, but do you think that he has devalued himself league-wide to the point where if Indiana even wants to retain him after this contract, that they're going to be able to do so at minimal cost? And do you think they even explore it? Yeah, so one of the big questions I think this offseason has, it feels like you need to choose between Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith. I don't think we need this experiment of them alternating games. I think that was them in the coaching staff trying to make the best out of the situation for both players. But guys needed continuity. It's going to be something I write about here. It took a toll on some of the guys. And, you know, trying to set the expectation for yourself, are you going to play, are you not going to play, that's difficult. Now, with Jalen Smith, I think a lot of what threw him off was starting the first, what, two months of the season, but doing it at his unnatural position, which then reminds me a little bit of Miles Turner, right? How many years did he play out of position, or at least the position he's most comfortable and natural in? Then you slide him back in, and he's a lot more productive. I think that's similar to Jalen Smith here. He's he's always played the five. He's played some four, but uh, almost entirely the five here, and I think Getting more reps and getting more, having a consistent opportunity at the five will will be better off for him to the point and being back with her Carlisle potentially within this system will pay off. Uh, there's there's a lot of value in, in those bigs that can shoot and, and be those four spacers. And I think Jalen more matches up with Rick's five-out playing style. The difference, though, on the other side is I see Isaiah being the player that untaps, he, he generates something no one else on this roster has. It's a truly unique skill, the lob threat, um, some defensive pressure, all that sort of stuff. So if they do choose one, I'll be curious which route they go because I don't think there's an obvious decision to be made. I just don't think you need the overlap there, and I think the same could be probably said in the backcourt with Chris Duarte, with Buddy Heald, maybe with another guard back there. When you talk about trying to trim down the roster – I think I think one of those at each position makes a lot of sense, and then add a couple six eight wings. Now that's easier said than done. But that's what I'm looking towards. Our guest is Scott Agnes. Fieldhouse Files is his website. Payless Liquors Hotline is where he is currently. Scott, one guy that I, I regret um, as I thought back on the Kevin Pritchard interview that I did not ask about, and I should have, be, but it almost was fitting because it's a guy that inexplicably I think we all just kind of forgot about what's the future of Chris Duarte (laughs) I was curious so I actually asked Rick myself about that and he he basically said hey you know this was a tough year see so Chris only played 46 games in my mind it felt like 25 it felt like he, he just wasn't out there much at all where in fact he was there for about half the season but his season was essentially derailed by injuries, and so I wasn't sure what to make of this year, and and there was a lot going into it too about him no longer being the shiny object going into the season. Right, that was Benedict Mather, and then Andrew Nemhard became that. So I don't know if he naturally kind of felt like he fell out of turn or was no longer you know the 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 new product in town that everybody wanted to see on display. But nonetheless. I almost throw out this year, at least personally. I'm not sure we saw much from him. I'm not sure we saw much development. I'm sure it was good from a from a locker room, on the court, um, learning personnel, that sort of thing, and what it takes to be in the NBA. But 
I don't think there was enough of a sample size for him to really take that normal step that we're used to seeing from the fresh from the first to second year type guy. So to me, um, and by the way, I asked Chris. He said, you know. I'm, I'm trying to get healthy. Getting healthy is my goal. Repeated that word about four or five different times. I asked if he was healthy, and he didn't specifically clarify where he's at. It was the shortest interview, by the way, at Exit Interviews, just about three minutes. Because to to the larger point, I'm not sure he had a lot to say about his season outside of, I need to get healthy so that I don't experience this again. I think he's a guy right now, his trade value is probably the lowest it's been just because of that. Um, but... I, it's one of those where I could see him starting the season here but not necessarily finish it if he elevates his game and, and, and creates some trade value as well. Or, or maybe he's a guy you include in a trade package with those two late first-round picks and, and maybe another guy. Maybe, maybe that can help give you some ammo. But I like Chris's game. I like what he can contribute. Rick praised his defense from his first year um, an awful lot. And I think we just need to see more of that. And Scott Agnes with us from Fieldhouse Files. Scott, when you talk about like, all right, these are our puzzle pieces moving forward. Obviously, Halliburton, certainly Matherin, you know, Miles Turner's under contract for a couple more years. You know, there's complimentary pieces as well. Is Buddy Heald like unquestionably like part of this two or three year next era, if you will? I can't go just yet beyond this next year for because just because he's under contract one more year and i think that's a decision you have to make and it has to be made with buddy in terms of are you comfortable coming off the bench here the rest of the way now he did at the end of his career with the sacramento kings but where i'd be cautioned both if i'm the pacers and buddy is i want to maximize my time with tyrese on the floor because when he was out there buddy was having one of the best career best seasons of his career when he wasn't now, given there are other people, other key players missing, so you're playing with young guys and trying to help shoulder the load, but he wasn't as efficient and wasn't getting to his spots and wasn't getting the shot opportunities that he was getting. So I think that would be my concern, certainly if I'm Buddy, too. And I think, Kevin, we heard praise that second unit and for leading the league and, and bench scoring and those sorts of things. Um, I, I think you try to figure out – what what he looks like with other pieces if he's not with that featured starting group because I don't think that will be the case if he's part of the long-term vision. So I think things, how I read it from Kevin, are very much up in the air. Um, with Buddy having just one more year under contract, you don't really need to come to a contract extension. You could, um, but there's no great need, and I think you, they're still trying to sort out what everything else looks like beyond Tyrese and beyond ben- Benedict. Those are the two foundational pieces the pillars however you want to phrase it and uh the rest is still kind of to be determined how it shapes together scott i think the thing that they didn't realize about buddy healed and then learned about buddy healed that has made the conundrum of buddy healed that much more real in terms of you know where you go just not just based on like kind of the age and timing difference of the fact that you know he's an older guy than he's not old but you Mm -hmm. get what i'm saying but I think he plays a position and a role, outside scorer, three-point shooter, that typically you run the highest risk on your roster of that guy being the ego guy that that can interrupt things and be a little selfish, and I don't think he is at all. I, I think they have been 
pleasantly surprised and borderline blown away at how unselfish and how much he has gelled in with everybody. And that's what a big part of the dilemma is on figuring the long-term viability of Buddy Heald. Yeah, that's absolutely correct, Jake. And I would add to that the fact of the, the, the environment he helps create in terms of competitiveness, in terms of not missing games, and having fun out there. Like, he, he constantly reminds us, like, hey, this is a kid's game. Like, we are so blessed to be – this is our job. Like, are you serious? Like, I go shoot baskets. That's my job. Like, there's, there's a, a humbling effect and while also taking it seriously but also enjoying it. That, it. that is just so appreciated, I think, for a franchise like that. That's a part that I was stunned by just because how much negativity do we hear about him coming out of Sacramento? Like, there, was, there had to be – a lot of different factors in play, but it's been a total 180 since he's got here and, and kind of has gotten that fresh start he's needed. Uh, he appreciates how Rick empowers him and allows him to, to be him. But I did think, too, it was interesting how Kevin mentioned, hey, if Buddy wants to be part of this in the future, he's really going to have to add something defensively. So that, was, that, to me, was spoken directly to Buddy and, and tells him right away. He's part of, he's part of the problem um, with guys not being able to def- defend their guys. But Buddy has been a breath of fresh air, like you said, and and I just think you, when you consider his future, you also consider how much Rick loves shooters, how much they want to run and gun, and that fits his style. And right now I'm not sure you can have enough shooters out there. And his, his price tags, at least for this final season, is reasonable, about $18 million, I want to say, with this de-escalating contract. So he's not – I think when he came here, a lot of people figured automatic trade asset, automatically going to be a traded. What can you get for him? And it absolutely has not turned that way. In fact, he's become a great asset who you can count on every single night. Scott, uh, last one. Is next week when we're expecting the um, the coin flip situation to settle these four of the five picks that are a bit unknown right now? We think, but there's no certain certainty with that just yet but yeah that's that's a big uh area the Pacers would like some clarity certainly on is where exactly will they pick because of those tiebreakers that we'll be watching closely they just do this like I was gonna say is <laughs> oh, by like, the way we got bored yesterday and flipped a coin okay <laughs> is this as secretive it's as it's, as the lottery it truly is flipping a coin though yeah well we'll see uh, Scott, thanks for uh, all your uh, coverage, and uh, I know you're in noon to three earlier this week. So thanks for always hopping on with us and uh, doing a little uh, midday action as well. Yeah, enjoyed it throughout the season. Life is full of things to manage: your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Thanks, guys. So the question now becomes, can the Rays set themselves apart from Major League Baseball history by starting out 14-0? and A remarkable start for the franchise, who has been to two World Series, has yet to win one, but maybe this is the year. Joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, our next guest needs no introduction in Indianapolis because of her time here. Not only as a native of central Indiana, but of course working in television before becoming the sideline reporter for the Tampa Bay Rays broadcast. Trisha Whitaker joins us. Uh, Trisha, a little bit of a fun run here for you to start the baseball season. 
Yeah, I'd say fun is an understatement, guys. It's been awesome. I mean, we knew the Rays were going to be a lot better, and we knew their lineup was going to be a lot better this year with everybody fully healthy. But I don't think anybody in their right mind would have predicted 13-0. So it's, it's, it's been such a fun ride. Trisha, good, good morning to you. Um, I do feel a little bit bad for you because, I mean, it's awesome that you are on Apple TV, these MLB games. Is this the second year you've done Apple TV? I knew you were going to bring this up. Yes, it is the second year I've done Apple TV. I know. I, I'm sorry to go there, but you're not going to be in Toronto tonight no. for one of the cooler events you could ever come across in your you know, broadcasting career. Yeah, I'm a little bit, uh, got a little bit of FOMO for that. Um, but I do love doing Apple TV. So, you know, it's all worth it in the end. Doing it every Friday night has been really, really fun. Last week we had Braves Padres. Next week we got a big one in Braves Astros. And then the week after that, we've got Phillies Astros in Houston. So we've got some amazing matchups coming up. But you're right, I have a lot of FOMO not being with the Rays right now as they go for this record. That would be incredible. But I'm going to be cheering them on from afar and certainly keep tabs on the games tonight because I am in Detroit right as I speak to you I am standing outside in Detroit in the Motor City looking at uh, looking at the Tiger Stadium so (laughs) now you kind of hit on this a little bit earlier but like what were preseason expectations you know I I feel like we fall into the trap sometimes with the Rays of it's like oh it's just plucky underdog and then you look at the resume and it's like wow they actually have been pretty darn good here um, in really their history as a franchise. So, like, what were the goals coming into the year? Yeah, I mean, you could say underdog in terms of payroll, but you certainly can't say underdog in terms of talent. The right. goal this season was just to have that lineup fully healthy. You know what I mean? So, when you think about last year and the Rays last year, last season their top hitters for months at a time were on the IL. They didn't have Brandon Lau all season long, basically. They didn't have Manuel Marco. I know a lot of people in Indiana might not know who I'm talking about, but they didn't have Harold Ramirez. They didn't have Wander Franco, one of the biggest stars, um, young stars in Major League Baseball. That's going to hurt a lineup when you're running out of AAA lineup for months at a time. I mean, what are you supposed to do um, when, when you come across luck like that? And this season, what we are seeing is a fully healthy lineup. And I know in the offseason, they didn't go out and get a left-handed bat or bolster their lineup like they you know, wanted to or talked about, but they they were pretty confident in the in the talent that they had returning from injury. When you get your top hitters back from injury and everybody is fully healthy, you are going to have a good team, and that's what we're seeing now with an amazing starting rotation. Uh, Trisha, to me, Trisha Whitaker is our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. The Rays remind me a little of like the '90s Braves, and then for the older crowd, I guess, before that, the Expos, and the fact that their scouting department clearly is really good. Is that off base for me to say? Because to be able to have this sustained level of competitiveness, you know, year in and year out for a decade or so, or even more so, you've got to be able to just keep replenishing. And it seems as though Tampa does that. Is this predominantly homegrown talent? Yeah, a lot of it is homegrown talent, but some of it is via trade. I mean, Manuel Margot came over from the Padres, and, you know, Tyler Glass now came over from the Pirates. Drew Rasmussen came over from the Brewers. But but you're not wrong in saying that we, we like to call them the nerd herd. You know, they kind of sit up there in their offices, and they crunch numbers, and none of us really have any idea how they do it because they just kind of keep it 
they keep it under wraps. Um, and I always make this comparison, and I'm not saying it's exactly the same at all, because the process is a lot different than you might see it on the big screen in a movie. But when you think of the movie Moneyball with Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill, that is, it reminds you a little bit of the Rays, right? They, they throw analytics at you, and at first you're kind of like, what in the hell are you talking about, right? You're like, how is this going to work? What are you saying? But it works, um, and they make it work because they crunch the numbers. They have incredible scouts. Um, and, and they know what they have to do being the lowest payroll in baseball, right? They're, they're, you, you do have a, have a ceiling there with what you can do in terms of bringing, you know, big bats in and stuff like that. So they do what they need to do, um, and they find talent where other people might not find it. She's on Bally Sports tonight. It'll be Apple TV, but Bally Sports usually with the Tampa Bay Rays. She is Trisha Whitaker. She's with us here on the Payless uh, Liquors Hotline. Trisha, you and I were still, you know, early years at IU when this was going on, but obviously the Colts' undefeated season in 2009 got a ton of attention, and what happened when they rested the starters got a lot of attention and is still being talked about to this day. I get that it's mid-April. I get that it's a totally different sport, but baseball players strike me as very superstitious. Do players like or enjoy addressing the elephant of the room of what could happen tonight? Not this team. Um, I, they are aware of it, um, but they're not going to obsess over it because here's the thing, guys. In all reality, records are amazing. A Major League Baseball record would be amazing, but it doesn't matter when it's October. It doesn't. I mean, it, it's, it is amazing, and I want them to make history, but you could make history during the regular season and then fizzle out in October. So they can't get too obsessed with this record, right? If they lose tonight, it's, it's still an amazing feat. 13-0 is an incredible feat. So their eyes are a lot more on the rest of the season than it is tonight. They are proud of what they have done. But if you don't perform well near the end of the season and in October, it means absolutely nothing. So I think that's their mentality right now. I mean, the Braves team that did it didn't even make the playoffs in the season in which they did. Exactly. Or no, was it the the Braves or the Brewers? The Brewers didn't make the playoffs. But yeah, one of the two didn't make the playoffs. Um, Trisha, by the way, the new Tiger Stadium, underappreciated. Kind of underrated, I think. Yeah, you know, I actually did a traveling segment there a couple of years ago. They've got like a big carousel in there. They've got um, all sorts of stuff. It's, it's pretty cool. I really enjoy the Tiger Stadium. Downtown Detroit, well, it, it needs a little work. But the Tiger Stadium, it, it's a cool stadium, and, um, and, and I do enjoy going to that stadium. Trisha, obviously the new rule changes, the quicker pace of the games, getting a lot of attention, and fans you know, love it. I, I am thinking, and this is maybe me putting too much of my – you know, Trisha work cap on. Is it more difficult though for you? Like I would think the innings are a little bit shorter. If they're throwing to you, they would have to get to you probably earlier, like with, you know, no outs or one out. How has that played out? Oh yeah. I got to be a lot quicker with my stories. That's for sure. Um, you've got about 10 seconds when you get back from break to, to get a story in. And then in between batters, you don't have a lot of time either, but it's, it's okay because it keeps the pace going. And it challenges me as a reporter to get my words out quickly and summarize it concisely yet informatively, right? So that's the biggest challenge for me, I think, is telling the guy's stories the right way, but making sure that it fits in the broadcast and the pace of the game keeps moving. So it definitely is hard, but oh my word, all hail the pitch clock. We love the pitch clock. It is just the best thing ever. 
we uh, the games are so much shorter, but they're but they're not suffering. You know, the the quality of the game isn't suffering. The offense isn't suffering. Defense is it's not suffering at all. So I love the pitch clock, even if that means I have to get my words out a lot quicker. Do you think players have totally adjusted already to it? And then the second part of the question would be, do you think the pitch clock has been a bigger adjustment for pitcher or hitter? 100% for the hitter. It is advantage pitcher, disadvantage hitter. Um, and, and I do think they have adjusted. The majority of the guys that I talk to on all teams, not just the Rays, the majority of the hitters I talk to, they generally will be like, you know, we don't love it, but we understand it. Um, and the guys who are still saying we need to add at least a few seconds on, some guys are being like, oh, 20 seconds. Okay, fine, but the game hasn't suffered, and the game has to continue to evolve. If you want people to stay interested in baseball, it has to continue to evolve, and this is a very good rule change for baseball, um, and, and we've seen the game move at a quicker pace, and you know what our play-by-play, or I'm sorry, our color analyst on our broadcast the other day pointed out, he said, I'm looking around the stadium, and there's not as many people staring at their phones anymore. People are, are paying attention to every single pitch because the game moves at such a fast pace. And that's good for the game. And I understand baseball purists don't want to see things change. I do understand that. But sometimes change is for the better. And in this case, it's been for the better. The game hasn't suffered. It is advantage pitcher. But I think the hitters have adjusted. How does tonight work for you? Are you going like watch the Rays game on the phone, iPad? I, I mean, you got to multitask a little here, right? Oh, one hundred percent. I got my iPad all set up in the uh, camera well right by the Tigers dugout, and I'm going to keep tabs on it, and I'm going to make sure I know what's going on the entire time while still trying to tell the stories of the Giants and the Tigers tonight in our game on Apple TV. But you guys better bet I'm going to be keeping tabs on it. <laughs> Watch the hot mic there. If you know Rosarena double scores a couple runs there, you want to make sure that uh, well, they- <laughs> keep that quiet. And that's the thing. They will. My producer with Apple TV is so great. We always give little updates from the studio from around the league during the game. And last week when the Rays were playing on Friday night and they were winning by, I don't even remember how much, but they were beaten, beaten up on the uh, athletics. They, they let me come on and do a report on it. <laughs> so that's, that's, that makes it fun for me that I'm able to kind of interject into the broadcast and talk about the Rays a little bit. It's been an amazing story. Um, you got to be thrilled that you are a part of it. Good luck tonight away from home, but um, I, I know you're able to stop. I was listening to you yesterday, able to stop in Bloomington this weekend, so good to see some uh, of your family. And enjoy the run. Pretty special story and been fun to follow from afar. So thank you, Tricia. Oh, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you later. It's Trisha Whitaker right there on the Payless Liquors pretty cool. hotline. 14-0. That will be the modern-day baseball record if the Rays can get it done tonight. Jake, safe travels. Enjoy Thank you. Long Beach. And You guys are looking so forward to sleep deprivation Monday. People could pray for us for Monday. That would be great. <laughs> Should I bring a six-pack of PBR just because? Mm-hmm. Just assume yeah, we why need not? it. Smart. The Smart. Hell? We need no reason for that. Been it's a fun not for you. It's for me and Kevin. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, been a fun week. Thank you to so many of our guests, Bob Costas, Gene Katie, Trisha Whitaker, Greg Rakestraw, the whole group. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday.